Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the late June episode of Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower. With me, as always, my colleague and friend, Beck Barnes. Well, Beck, the calendar, which, of course, does not lie, tells us that summer is now officially upon us. Uh, you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we would need the uh, the calendar to know uh, what time it is, what time of year it is, because, man, we are in the midst, in the throes of our first real heat wave of the season here in Memphis. I mean, I think we're going to be touching well north of triple digits here uh, by the end of the week. This week, it's, it's June 27 as we uh, pod. And yeah, well, I, I will say, Jim, and I would hope you would agree, I'm not going to complain, can't complain, because we had a very pronounced spring yes. here in the Mid-South, and I think in much of the Delta. And it's been pleasant. You know, we have very nice spring. And so, yeah, it's just that time of year. You know, we got to, and I know that cotton's got to love it. That cotton, uh, take all the heat you can give it out there. Well, that's, and that's true. And, and you know, not only is the heat settling in over the over the Mid-South, but it's it's arrived, I think, in most areas of the cotton belt, especially, uh, especially out in Texas. Uh, I think everything seems to be in this cycle of a few days of brutal heat, followed by some showers or storms, and then going right back into the heat. Uh, and granted, we've got much of the U.S. cotton crop seems to be running just a little bit behind schedule due to the you know cool, wet conditions earlier. So this hot weather, probably just what's needed to catch it up a little bit. Um, I think the, uh, the U.S. State Crop Progress Report this week uh, showed that 95% of the cotton crop is now planted, and that's up six points from a week ago. Squaring's now reported in 28% of the crop. That's up nine points in the past week. And a very small percentage of bowl set has also been reported. But it's also showing that this total crop is about 3 to 5% behind the five-year average for most of these categories. Uh, so, you know, and you talk to folks in the industry and they will tell you, we're, you know, two weeks. We're two weeks behind right now. But this hot weather, we're going to see how much progress this crop can make uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the cotton condition numbers, uh, just a little bit of slight improvement in the past week. 49% uh, of the crop rated good to excellent. That's, that's up two points. 33% uh, of the crops rated fair, which is unchanged in the past week. And 18% is rated poor, very poor, uh, which is a, a it's, it says it's down two points, but that's actually a positive move uh, for that category. So uh, forecast for the cotton belt over the next week and a half, more heat, followed by more rain. Uh, we'll see how long this weather cycle holds out. And weather, of course, one thing the cotton markets are watching closely uh, as of today, prices are still bogged down in the high 70s, low 80s range, just like they've been for the last several months. But everybody's keeping their eyes now on USDA Planted Acres report that comes out uh, this week on June 30th. Uh, initial predictions for a smaller total crop than was forecast back in March. Uh, we're going to see how that plans out and uh, and certainly see how the market reacts. And the market will react. Yeah, the market will. Uh, and I know one group, Jim, that is uh, watching that uh, uh, crop output forecast um, uh, is going to be those uh, the American cotton shippers. And so, uh, wouldn't you know it, I know that you just recently got back from uh, being out there 
in Park City, Utah with the American Cotton Shippers Association. He flew out there to kind of take notes, keep tabs on that important segment of the industry with our good friend, uh, Buddy Allen, who's the new, I believe, the president of the of AXA. Right. So uh, can you just uh, generally, Jim, tell me a little bit about your trip out there. How was your flight and uh, how'd you find Park City, Utah? Well, you know, I'll, I'll admit, you know, it's it's a, obviously an unusual place for a cotton industry meeting, but it's not an unusual location for uh, a meeting of AXA. You know, probably not a whole lot of uh, row crop going on around there. No, not a lot. Not a lot of row crop. A lot. Of, there's way too much vertical vertical ground out there. Uh, beautiful vertical ground, I will tell you that. But uh, no, a trip out was fine. You know, connected from Memphis through Denver over to Salt Lake. Uh, very little problem. Pretty much everything was on schedule there and coming back. Thank goodness. Park City, of course, sits you know right up on top of one of the mountains, uh, just in there in that in the Salt Lake City area. Beautiful beautiful area. Uh, if you have a little bit of vertigo, you don't want to be looking out the car window over the edge, um, you know, but uh, for the most part, it's an ideal location for a meeting. You're, you're kind of isolated, but at the same time, you're, you're surrounded with, you know, with this group of people. And I think there were probably maybe 200 people total at this meeting. Um, but everybody was there all focused on, um, you know, on some of the issues that the shipping side marketing and shipping side of the cotton industry uh, are dealing with at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you're kind of hitting on my next question there. We know that our shippers are such a crucial segment of uh, cotton's journey, and we know that uh, they're vital partners for our growers. So uh, can you just tell us some of the major takeaways from their annual meeting? Sure. A couple of really, really interesting discussions during the uh, the business sessions for the uh, for the meetings. Uh, and we certainly, obviously, appreciate the opportunity to be there and, and participate in those. But uh, one of the sessions, primary sessions, was on carbon, carbon sequestration and carbon programs and what that's going to mean uh, to the overall industry, particularly from, from the shipping perspective, also down to the grower perspective. And, and the fact that there seems to be so many different def definitions and so many different programs out there and... and uh, the panel that was that was there really did a great job in kind of identifying some of the key factors and things to watch out for, uh, maybe some of the trends that are coming in terms of uh, of carbon, and uh, it's going to make a fascinating fascinating article for the pages of Cotton Grower here uh, coming up in the next month or so. Uh, also, a political panel uh, bringing uh, trying to bring the group up to date, certainly on the status of the farm bill. Uh, but also just in terms of, of uh, the attitudes and the prevailing uh, mood in Washington these days and uh, how complicated it is to, uh, to work on legislation and to, uh, to get things done. Uh, it's not something that uh, they see any immediate improvement coming on, but the, uh, the optimism is there that the Farm Bill will, again, have bipartisan support. Uh, that it will pass. It's going to just still going to be a, quite a bit of debate on it in certain areas of the farm bill, uh, and the pos strong possibility that the current farm bill may get extended uh, if they feel if they feel like they're close to getting the new bill done, but not quite within the time frame they need to get it done. So um, time will tell. Everybody was optimistic. You know, we'll um, keep working ahead on that. It was interesting too, from from 
the AXA perspective, because like many other parts of the cotton industry, um, they're also very politically active. And uh, it was interesting to uh, to sit and, and watch uh, their little fundraiser activities uh, among the group to, uh, to help fund some of those Washington activities. It's amazing how quickly a group can raise a substantial amount of money. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say little probably probably not the right adjective for the. Uh... Yeah, it was it was an auction. Yeah, and uh, you know I I kept my hands in my pockets because <laughs> that was they were it was definitely way out of my league. Yeah, on it, but uh, but there were some amazing amazing items that went up for auction, and uh, again it was very successful uh, from their perspective. I think they're going to be able to do uh, do quite a bit of uh, of good for the industry. Yeah, I mean, you know I'll just say I think that this time of this, the farm bill cycle when the when it's really the sausage is getting made um right boy you it's kind of the the clearest uh view you get of how good cotton's associations are and the, the work that they put in and and kind of navigating that complex uh system uh, uh have an input on that farm bill you know where we just uh, that's one of the strengths of our industry is our association's presence our associations cumulative presence up there on Capitol Hill. Definitely. Definitely. And and you know, the other the other part in this too is, you know, it's it was good to see the cooperation and the, the cohesiveness of uh, of objectives and programs between AXA and the National Cotton Council. Uh they're they seem very much in lockstep uh with each other in terms of, of what they want to get done and how they're going to do it. So, you know, that that from from an industry perspective, I think will make a lot of these a lot of these programs simpler and uh, you know and and well coordinated uh, is probably the best term for it at this point as we move uh, move through the rest of this uh, legislative year. Yeah, but that's uh, you know that said, in this episode, we're going to focus on weed control. Uh, some of the challenges already showing up with this year's crop. Uh, some things that might be coming to help in the, this ongoing battle with weeds. But before we get to that segment, uh, we do have some breaking news uh, from the industry. Uh, actually, a couple of items that, uh, that broke uh, this morning. And first came from the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol uh, regarding the new Climate Smart Cotton Program. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Uh, I think most of our growers will probably remember several months back when uh, the news uh, hit that the Cotton Trust, U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol was one of these programs that received a Climate Smart grant from the federal government, and uh, it was quite a quite a nice grant. I believe the dollar figure was around ninety million dollars over five years that uh, the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol would be receiving as part of this Climate Smart uh, funding. And so, uh, uh, fast forward to just this morning, as you say, and uh, so, yeah, the news broke there. So U.S. cotton growers can now apply. Uh, through September 1st for the Climate Smart Cotton Program. Uh, it's a five-year initiative. It's going to be led by the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, as we just alluded to. And the program aims to measure and improve the carbon footprint of the U.S. cotton industry while building on the four pillars of climate smart agricultural practices. Uh, participating growers are going to receive technical and financial support, as well as other benefits that can enhance their operations, profitability, and importantly, their environmental stewardship. So the program's stated goals are to provide technical and financial assistance to U.S. cotton farmers, 
to advance adoption of the climate smart agricultural practices in 1.2 or sorry on 1.2 US cotton 1.2 million US cotton acres easy for me to say uh, to produce 4.2 million bales of climate smart cotton over 5 years to enroll 1,650 U.S. cotton farmers, including 330 farmers from historically underserved communities, and to reduce CO2 emissions by 1.14 million metric tons. So those are some lofty goals, a key one for our guys to pay attention to there. We're trying to enroll 1,650 cotton farmers. So uh, understand that applications will be approved on a first-come, first-served basis. To be eligible, uh, growers must first complete enrollment in the trust protocol by September 1st and upload their 2023 bales by March 1 of 2024. Uh, growers are encouraged to get started on this today to be sure you secure a spot in the program and to maximize benefits. I think there are about 13,000 farms out there uh, in the U.S. cotton belt. And so, yeah, they're taking 1,650 of y'all. So again, first come, first serve. Do not tear it. Uh, get on this thing if you're interested. So grower, to do that, growers can apply for the ClimaSmart Cotton Program and enroll in the trust protocol at www.trustuscotton.org. That's great. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, finally, we're starting to see the details of this program. It's uh, it, it's It's sort of been, alluded to but not in any specifics so it's good to see uh good to see the concrete points of this program yeah outlined I, go ahead no i was just saying absolutely i was agreeing with this it's good i'm excited for our growers to, to dive in yeah well and and like i said we've got uh, another item another news item news flash dropped uh dropped into our our inboxes earlier today and and we can't wait we've got to share this news uh it's what today, June twenty seventh, right back? That's correct. Okay, well, news came across that Alamo, Texas, once again home to the first bale, twenty twenty three cotton season. I saw that. Okay, Wesley Vanderpool, who also grew, also had the first bale last year, harvested on Tuesday, June twentieth, after planting Stumble forty nine ninety B three XF back on February seventh. Is, uh, Vanderpool's harvested bale was then ginned at Willisie Co-op Gin in Sebastian, Texas. That bale will be auctioned off at the annual First Bale of Cotton Auction and Scholarship Fundraiser, September 14th in Harlingen, Texas. So congratulations again to Wesley Vanderpool for this, uh, for this what's becoming an annual achievement, it appears, for, for him and his farm. Yeah, well done. It's always insane to me to think, you know, we just got done talking about planting almost being you know got i think five percent left to plant and these folks are are bailing and they're already harvesting yeah insane oh well that's it's the joys of south texas yeah anyway um now moving moving ahead uh june 21st the first field day of the season i think outside of south texas was held in jackson tennessee uh it was the traditional university of tennessee weed field day and that's always headed up by dr larry steckel Tennessee Extension Weed Specialist. It's always a good time to see what kind of problems are moving to the top of the list this season. Uh, find uh, find out a little bit a little bit about some of the new herbicides and herbicide mixtures that are being evaluated right now, and look at some new technologies that could potentially help save a little bit of time 
provide some cost savings in these weed wars that, uh, that we wage from year to year. So as be has become tradition, I visited with Larry after the field day to talk about some of the research programs, some of the challenges for this year, and to get his perspective on what's here and what's coming to help. We talked for a few minutes beside a shade tree near his research plot, so if you hear some background noise and momentary drops in dialogue, I apologize, but, uh, but I think you're going to get the gist of the discussion. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Larry Steckel. We're, uh, we're back in Jackson, Tennessee, the West Tennessee Research and Extension Center uh, for Larry Steckel's annual Field uh, Weed Field Day. It seems to be a tradition, Larry. We uh, we come out and take a look. This is like the first field day of the year. It, it's got to be one of the first. I don't know of any that are that are really ahead of it. So uh, we always try and have it. It's usually the second or third week in June, more often than not, third week of June. But we've never had it on a day with weather like this. This has been unbelievably good for a field day. Yes, Larry's looking around. It's like slightly overcast. The sun's kind of coming through. Maybe maybe 77, 78 degrees. It's a, it's a no-sweat field day <laughs> for the first time I can ever remember. Absolutely. It's usually a cooker. By now, everybody can't wait to get in their truck and turn the air conditioning on. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we're some little, little energy savings here at this point. Exactly. And everything. Like I said, I'm talking with Larry Stackle. He's uh, he's Extension Weed Specialist for University of Tennessee. And I might add a, uh, a newly minted fellow of the Southern Wheat Science Society, and I congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. That's quite the honor. There's a lot of really good wheat scientists in the South, and, and to be among those is, is really an honor. Well, congratulations on that. So I'm just going to run through a few things for little notes that I made as, uh, sure. as part of our walking tour out here and, and kind of get your reaction to them a little bit. Uh, we do seem to be off to a decent start this year, maybe a little bit slow, uh, kind of rough in places. What sort of challenges in wheat control are you seeing right now? Well, the weed control challenges kind of evolved. So early on, it was it was ryegrass, and just we were starting to have issues in Tennessee, like they've been struggling with in Mississippi for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, just really becoming a huge problem trying to burn down ahead of, of corn and cotton and soybeans, and and then also just in in our wheat uh, as a, as a weed in our wheat. So it really been a problem there. Um, we're more and more going to have to adopt what what you know Jason Bond and some of them have been advocating in, in Mississippi is some fall applications, things like that, or try and get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. Pigweed, and then more recently, it's been all nothing but pigweed. Uh, my my phone's has been very constant with it. Lots of pictures from people all over showing me pigweed not not dying from from dicamba. So that's been the number one issue right right now. Um, and, and trying to, you know, what do we do now? Uh, and really follow-up application with Liberty has been, been the most effective thing, uh, if it's timely, if you can get out there within a week or so. And if they're waiting two-plus weeks, yikes, uh, yeah. it's too long. And uh, and it just, it, it's coming back. So so that's been really, uh, really a thing. Um, and then just kind of the level of resistance some of the folks are seeing in some fields. Uh, you know, a lot of fields we has been building, and it's been about 2x resistance dicamba, so... You may or may not see it. You can usually get it with a second shot of dicamba, but that's not been the case in some of these fields now uh, with second shots, which has not been very functional. So we're starting to see that next step, just like we did with Roundup 15 years ago, uh, where it went from, you know, borderline kind of resistant, low-level resistance to can't put the jug on it and to kill it resistant. And, right. and we're starting to see that process with dicamba now. Well, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, looking at options and different things out there. And walking around today, one of the first things that jumped out at me is premixes. There seem to be several premixes in the 
into research at this point? Obviously, registration's pending and things like that. How are those working, and, and who's who's working with those? Well, there's a lot of companies working with them. A lot of event, you know, well, some getting some pretty complex four-way premixes, like uh, you know, since you in the storm, four-way premixers, and a lot of three-ways. So, um, and a lot of them are really looking good. So, we, from a farmer standpoint, I think it makes life a lot easier. You don't have to dump four different things or three different things in. You just got dump the one thing in and you're good to go with a pre-measured rate and that makes life so much easier and it's hard enough to get those applications on so um anything you do to make it easier for those applicators is it's a good thing uh and there are multiple modes of action so there's been get controlling these weeds from like you know with the magic music and then maybe with a, a, a dual or a zidua and then maybe you know even putting hey listen the inhibitors we a pigweed's been resistant to it for a long time but they still have some value free uh, particularly, we're starting to see things like like the morning glory species. Uh, we're seeing more of those in some cases, and they really can help out there. Uh, high look. Yeah, there's a number of explained the bit. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's a bunch of companies coming with the high load glufosinate. So the major benefit with it is you don't have to drag as many jugs around to spray the same field. So it's just a lot less transportation cost and storage cost for the company for the retailers and for the farmer. So those are the biggest pluses for it. Otherwise, it's just Liberty. I mean, it's, it's functioning. Everything we've seen, it, it's functioning just like Liberty does. You just got to use, in some cases, half the rate. Some of the gains is two-thirds the rate, depending on how much they've uh, changed the formulation. Sure. One of the things I think we talked about a little bit last year was the studies you had going, the Zidua, going out with fertilizer. And those plots look really, really clean. What's your thoughts? Oh, I love that. That And uh, it's really catching on in Tennessee. A lot of acres went out in the last two weeks uh, with, with Zidua on the fertilizer. Uh, and it's, it's going to kind of be the standard thing in Tennessee now. Um, with, you know, a lot of farmers are really starting to, well, I, I had some turn row discussions with farmers out looking at their fields, really coming concerned with the lack of control they're seeing with dicamba. So they realize they got to start implementing and integrating other tools. And uh, that's one of the real bright spots because it's one of the few herbicides you can put on cotton you don't see any injury i mean that's almost nothing else that will do that it seems like so uh you can seem like you see a little surfactant sometimes with with liberty or, or roundup but uh you just there's absolutely no injury so uh the cotton just keeps right on gallant with and uh you can get you can get shaved quicker is, is this year you're going to see some hoods come back out a- absolutely in fact i had a call yesterday because they've forgotten what they used to put in a hood what were, what were the what to use in it because they were getting the chainsaw out and and, uh, and going to the fence row and claiming one of the hoods that were pushed in there and a brush had grown around, you know. So, uh, yeah, and I'll get back to, you know, the paraquat, fowler in the hood, trying to knock down big tig weed and cotton. Whatever works. It was, you know, what we did 10 years ago when Roundup, we lost Roundup and we're scrambling. So, uh, one of the things you mentioned out there, that this is kind of the year, and we've got regulation. And some of this regulation is going to, could, it is going to impact some of the products that uh, that you use for weed control in this area. What's what's the situation on that? Yeah, there's a number of things um, uh, from the regulation standpoint that has a lot of the weed scientists concerned. Uh, you know, notably here in Tennessee is Cotteran and some of the restrictions where I look where we just can't use Cotteran in a number of counties. Mm-hmm. And that's really, Cotteran's the number one herbicide we use pre-emergence in Tennessee on cotton. And we don't use it by itself. Right. It it's always goes with something else. It goes with Caprol, or it goes with Prowl, or it goes with Brake. And it makes those pre's better because it doesn't need much water to get to get activated. 
which is one of the reasons I think it's being regulated. But it doesn't mean much water to be activated. So it can kind of bridge the gap to when those others get enough rain to be activated. Right. Kind of pick the baton up and go from there. And uh, I'm afraid our prees won't be as consistently controlling pigweed in particular without cotteran in the mix. And then we're relying more on post-emergence herbicides, which aren't working as well. So it really puts us in a bind. Sure. Well, I noticed there are a few studies out there with caparol and something else just to kind of see what uh, what they would do without the cottery. We're trying to be proactive and, 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 and kind of look ahead a couple, three years to see what questions our farmers are going to have trying to work around either new resistance issues or, or regulation issues. And uh, hopefully maybe have an answer ahead of when we get into a prop. Yeah. Now, last year we talked a bit about uh, Elite 27, the ASF's new product to go with their accent system. But from what I understand, some of these regulations are going to limit we're in the state of Tennessee, that product can be used. Yeah, big time limit. Only five counties. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, it's, and it's the river counties that we can use in Obion and Lake and, and Dyer and, and Tipton and Lauderdale. But, yeah, so it's, it's going to limit us to those counties, but what do the other counties do? And that's, that's the issue because uh, being able to use that herbicide is going to be a big deal in cotton. It's, yeah. it, it, there's clearly, it, it's going to bring a lot to the table. And we even saw it here where dicamba wasn't working as well. You put uh, Elite 27 in with it, it's picking up those pigweeds. So, uh, yeah, it, it, we really need that. And uh, I think BASF's looking at trying to get the label expanded. I don't know where all that is, but that's another regulatory hurdle that's that's kind of hurting us on the, on the two R's. Sure. Now, the other thing, obviously, that I think a lot of people came out to see, not, in addition to listen to your, uh, yeah. <laughs> listen to your thought, describe yeah, 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 all the yeah. work you have going, was the, uh, was the scene spray unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Deere yeah. And, and Blue River. What are your impressions on that? What uh, What's it going to mean for weed control and what's it going to mean for growers? Well, it's I, I've been really impressed with it. We've done, well, you saw the research, but we've done a number of research plots with it, and, and really the systems work very well. Um, so it can really help us kind of get around the two R's in some cases, help mitigate that. So one of the tests you saw out there was using a sand spray system and be able to document um, how we're using... Uh, atrazine more effectively and less of it in the field sure. using the seed spray system than just overspraying. And that can be another one of these um, mitigation points that the EPA can add to the label that a farmer then could use atrazine in the field that maybe he wouldn't be able to otherwise. Right. So it's going to help from the regulatory standpoint. It's also going to really potentially help a lot from the resistance standpoint. And, and there's the sky's kind of the limit with that technology. I, I think it's, it's really going to be very helpful going forward uh, in that, you know, some of these chemical companies may have a herbicide sitting in a closet somewhere that was way too pricey, but if you're only spraying 30% of the field, all of a sudden, maybe mathematically it makes sense, and maybe we can get a new herbicide because of that. Uh, also being more effective uh, with the herbicides we got and targeting the weeds, uh, the way that thing can, can make it uh, better at managing weeds uh, with, with you know some liberty. And then, and then some of the things just get around less injury to the crop, and the crop can grow more rapidly, shade the ground quicker, um, and do something that, you know, you don't pour out of a jug, but kind of, uh, yeah, kind of a roundabout way helps the crop get the canopy quicker. Sure. So Now, now mentioned out to you that, that Tennessee is one of five universities that Blue River and Deer are working with yeah. on this with these uh, these plant units. Uh, in addition, Arkansas, Purdue, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech. What's the goal? I mean, what's the objective that you have working with them in terms of uh, buy it? So it's... 
been a real collaboration between all of us. And I mean, I give an example with that atrazine. That was when we all put together, uh, when we started to see the regulations coming out, being in, uh, being uh, introduced by the EPA, uh, that they, they were only going to let you use so much atrazine on a given field. Uh, but you had to jump. The farmer's going to have to jump through several hoops. They got to have a cover crop. They've got to have terraces. They've got to have filter strips. Well, they need to expand that. So, because a lot of farmers are doing stuff now that ought to be in there. They're using swath control. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing. You know, there's a lot of things like that. But this could be another thing they they could put on there that they're using that'll let them use atrazine in the field at a rate that's herbicidal that otherwise they wouldn't be able to from a regulatory standpoint. Okay. And so we all got together as a as a collaborative universities with with Lee River to uh, put that research together. And that was that was the goal of mine to have this data for that. Great. Larry, thank you. I appreciate it for taking time. It's been a busy morning. Oh, it's been a comfortable morning. It has. For all months, and I'm sure when we come back down here in September for uh, for the cotton deal day, it won't be quite all. It will not be quite as comfortable <laughs> as this. But anyway, I appreciate you taking time. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we'll, we'll check in with you later. Down. All right. Well, thank you. Well, all right. That's going to just about do it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to thank our old friend, Dr. Larry Steckel, for taking time to visit with Jim to share his insight on the current weed control challenges and possible solutions. And as always, we want to thank you, our dear listeners, for joining us. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And if you did like what you heard, please be sure and spread the word. Tell your friends and farming neighbors about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman. He's Beck Barnes. And we'll, we'll be back with you in a few weeks, the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, keep those weeds under control and stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made it for him.